This is episode 305 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are 8 Food Storage Myths and 8 Tips First-Time Gun Buyers Need to Know Before They Buy. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. Hey, when you purchase the ebook, you get instant access to the Prepper Website Forums. It's a private forum to discuss your micro-businesses and also other Prepper-related topics. Hey, uh, I want to let you know also that I released the weekly Watchmen and Current Events uh, for May 1st, 2018. A lot of great stuff there. You know, One of the things I was going to uh, touch on yesterday and I didn't was uh, the bombing of uh, the Iranian, I guess, base in Syria. And uh, so things are at a fever pitch over there, and you're not really hearing about them in the in the media. The media is not really talking about things, uh, other, you know, important information there that we should be. I mean, they're kind of they focus on the things that they want to focus on, and so that's why I like to release these not only because of the biblical aspect of it, and because there is some prophecy or biblical prophecy related items to it, and they and they do it from that stand, standpoint. But there's also a lot of items that you don't hear about in the mainstream media and sometimes the alternative news either because the alternative news I mean they're they're writing about the things that they see out there but these guys I really do appreciate what they're doing out there they're looking at current events they're looking at all this stuff that's going on and they're talking about it I would if you could only watch two videos that are connected to this one I would definitely watch John Haller's video and then I would skip down to Jacob Prash's video when he specifically is talking about uh, Iran and Israel and all that kind of stuff. I think that's very important uh, to keep uh, you know your eyes open on that. So uh, I will link to that in the show notes. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump to our first article. It comes to us from askaprepper.com. And the article is entitled, Eight Food Storage Myths. So let's go ahead and read this one. Storing food is a big part of prepping. Even if you have the land and resources to grow your own crops, you need to assume the worst-case scenario of losing everything you've planted. And that means having enough food stockpile to last until you can grow some more. In a nuclear scenario, you're going to have to spend weeks in a bunker, and you can't nip out to pick some corn whenever you get hungry. A storm could flatten your crops, or hungry refugees could plunder them while you're asleep. If you don't have a large store of food, you're not truly prepared. The trouble is, storing food isn't easy. Since the first farmers began producing surplus crops about 10,000 years ago, preserving food for future use has been one of humanity's biggest challenges, and the consequences of getting it wrong are serious. If you're lucky, a mistake means wasted food. If you're not, it can mean potentially lethal food poisoning. It's vital to store the right food and look after it properly. Unfortunately, there's a lot of advice on the internet that looks good but isn't going to help you survive. A lot of people could be building up food stores that, when SHTF, aren't going to be the asset that they thought they would be. To help you avoid dangerous errors, 
Here are the eight worst food storage myths. Number one, all I need is freeze-dried food. Freeze-dried meals, whether it's individual camping rations like Mountain House or one of the bulk emergency food buckets you can easily find online, are great. They're simple to prepare, just add hot water, and pack in a lot of energy and nutrition for their bulk. Most of them taste pretty acceptable too. On the other hand, you don't want to be eating nothing else but freeze-dried food for a long period of time. For a start, they're highly processed and contain a lot of preservatives to give them their long shelf life. They also need a lot of water to prepare. The food itself might not be bulky and heavy, but the amount of water needed to turn it into meals is. Your food store should definitely contain some freeze-dried food. It's ideal to grab and take with you if you have to bug out. A week's worth is plenty, though. Don't rely on it for the bulk of your survival diet. So guys, when you do look into, you know, if you do uh, look into buying dehydrated foods, uh, make sure, you know, you do a little bit of research. I'm just, that's all I'll say about that one uh, today. Uh, Number two, okay then, all I need is canned food. Canned food is another popular item to store and again, it's a very good choice. Canned food lasts for years. It's usually pretty versatile and it isn't expensive. You can pick it up cheaply in any discount grocery store. Most preppers have a large quantity of canned food in store, but is it all you need? No, it isn't. Modern canning methods preserve a lot of nutrients, but not all of them. Canned food is often low in vitamin C, which doesn't react well to heat treatment. As the cans get older, they tend to lose more nutritional value, and the taste and texture can deteriorate too. The best use for canned food is to build up a stock of basic ingredients that can be eaten cold if necessary or used as the base for proper cooked meals. Go for canned vegetables and meat rather than complete meals. They can be combined to add more variety. A can of ravioli will always be ravioli, but canned beef stew, corn, peas, and beans can be turned into many different meals. Number three, fine, I'll store a load of wheat instead. So if freeze-dried and canned meals aren't a complete solution, how about going back to basics and stockpiling a ton of wheat. After all, it's one of the oldest storable foods, and with a bit of work, it can be turned into many things, including that classic staple, bread. Adding some wheat to your stockpile certainly makes sense if you have the skills and equipment to process it. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't. It's also not ideal if you're forced to survive in extreme circumstances, like in your bunker after a nuclear attack. Even if you have the equipment to grind wheat in your bunker, it's going to fill the place with dust. That isn't just unpleasant, it's dangerous. A single spark could be enough to ignite the dust and set off an explosion powerful enough to destroy your bunker and everything and everyone in it. Store some wheat in rodent-proof containers so that when you can grind it, you can make bread and other flour-based foods. Don't rely on it as a major part of your diet, though. In the comment section, someone did say... um, this idea of uh, the 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 dust, uh, I guess the the wheat dust um, sparking a fire. I mean, it could, and you would need a whole lot of it. But if you're doing it, if you're just grinding it as you need it, you you probably would never ever ever get to that. Um, and to be honest, uh, in all the the years of Prepper website, this is the first time I've ever read about that. So I really don't think that is that that's an issue. I think more when it comes to, to grinding wheat, you're talking about it. It t- it burns some some calories. Well, you know, if you don't have 
uh, an automatic, right, or electric one, or if you're, you know, you're having to do it by by hand, uh, it's a lot of work if you've never done it before. And so that's, you know, that's one of the, I guess, the major concerns there is that you do need a, a hand grinder, a good one, and it's going to, uh, you know, in order to get a decent amount of flour to to cook for a family, you are going to have to grind it. And uh, you're gonna have to to work it, so you're gonna you're gonna get some muscles <laughs> doing that definitely. All right, number four is beans. Beans then, dried beans are a common staple in prepper stores for a whole variety of good reasons. They're robust, less vulnerable to rodents and other pests than wheat or flour. Can be used in a wide variety of recipes and are a good source of energy and protein. Many people also believe they'll last pretty much forever. Well, not quite. Beans do last for a very long time, but eventually they'll get so dry that it takes some real determination to turn them back into usable food. Even canned ones can get hard enough to need some time in a pressure cooker. If you don't have a pressure cooker, try simmering them for three hours with a teaspoon of baking soda added for every three cups of water. Number five, once I have X months of food, I'm prepared. Once you've decided how much food you need and stockpiled it, you can relax, right? No, not so fast. Just having the food isn't enough. You also need to maintain your store and make sure you have everything you need to turn it into nutritious meals. Food supplies need to be inspected regularly to make sure nothing is deteriorating. Check packaging, especially cans, for damage or signs of pests. Rotate canned goods when you buy groceries. If you buy canned corn, add it to your stockpile and take the oldest cans from there to use. That way you'll know the oldest food is fine while replacing it with new. You also need to know what you're going to do with the food. Can it be used to prepare recipes that you and your family will actually like? Is anyone allergic to any of the ingredients? Can it be easily prepared with the utensils and facilities you'll have available after the SHTF? Don't just buy whatever food is the cheapest. Have a plan for post-apocalypse meals. Number six, I can store my food supply anywhere. It's tempting to stuff any odd corner with extra food, but it might not contribute a lot to your reserves in the long run. Even long-life food needs to be properly stored. High temperatures will degrade texture, taste, and nutritional value. Freezing conditions can burst containers. Cans will rust in the damp. If you do find rust among your supplies, they need to be checked. If the rust can be wiped off to show sound metal underneath, the can should be fine. Heavier rust could mean tiny holes have opened up, allowing air into the can and setting the scene for a dangerous bout of food poisoning. Throw it away. Number seven, I know how long my food will last. The expiry date is printed on it. Pretty much all food now comes with an expiry date. Printed on the packaging, and most people take that as a reliable indicator of how long it can be safely stored. If you're new to prepping and starting to build up a food reserve, it's natural to look at the expiry date and pick food with the longest ones to stockpile. The problem is that the expiry dates are only a very rough guide. They're usually very conservative, so food that's long past the expiry date is still safe to eat. On the other hand, they're also based on the food being stored in ideal conditions. If it's exposed to temperature changes, moisture, sunlight, or pests, it can deteriorate a lot faster. Food that's past its expiry date won't usually become dangerous unless air is getting into the packaging, but it can lose taste and texture as well as becoming less nutritious. Always store food in the best conditions you can. 
A well-ventilated root cellar is perfect. Number eight, it's emergency food. It doesn't matter how it tastes. If you're hungry enough, you'll eat pretty much anything. Even the pickiest eater will start to shed their preferences as the rumbling from their stomach gets louder. It's possible to take this too far, though. Food that nobody likes might deliver essential energy and nutrients, but it isn't going to do a lot for morale. And when you're in a life or death situation, morale has a high influence on whether you make it or not. It might be tempting to pick up a load of food that you're not too keen on if it comes at a tempting price. Don't jump in, though. Think about how you'll feel when you're eating it for the 10th day in a row. The point of your food stockpile is to keep you healthy and well-motivated. So make sure it can provide meals you really want to eat. All right, guys, a lot of uh, a lot of comments on this one. And, you know, people have a lot of different opinions. Um, you know, I, I always go back and you know how I feel. I think if you are, because I know there's a lot of new preppers and new people, a lot of new people listening to this podcast and you might, you know, your eyes are starting to, to become aware of uh, your eyes are opened up, right, of, of how fragile we are. Or maybe you come to the conclusion, you know what, uh, you know, being prepared isn't that bad of a deal. You know, there, there's some uh, you know, there's some good to it. Right. And so you're you're wondering what's the best way to do this. This article talks a little bit about some myths here, but definitely I'm going to go back to the things that. I believe this is my opinion, and I'm sticking with it from years of, of, of doing it. Um, I believe the easiest and most cost-effective ways to, to start your food pantry, your food storage, is canned foods. You can start, you go to the grocery store, and you start buying canned foods, things that you, that you eat. I mean, he talked about here, ravioli is ravioli, and that's right. You know, when you need a meal... And you, it's something easy and you just need to put it on the fire and cook it and heat it up and eat it. Ravioli will do a lot of good for you, right? And then there's a lot of soups as well. I've talked about that, um, you know, that one meal that we made where we had like two cans of, of the chunky chunky soup with uh, with a bunch of rice. And we just kind of mixed it. And we, had the, we had a big plate of rice and, and put a couple of scoops of that of the chunky soup on top of it. And uh, man, that worked really well. It was very filling. And so, you know, you can, you think about meals that you can make like that, that will just go a long way. And, and you want to start adding those types of things to your, to your menus that you serve, right? So building your stockpile of canned foods that you would get at the grocery store, I think is that's the easiest way to, to do it. Now, again, have a menu, have a plan, build upon that. I've talked about that. There are, uh, I actually have uh, my Survival for the Common Man series talks about that. I think it's like number three or four in the in the series, right? And uh, also, if you are subscribed to uh, the email list, you know, the, the e-course, Building a More Self-Reliant Life, I definitely talk about that uh, in that e-course. And if you're not, you know, I welcome you to come on over and actually I have a link in the show notes and you can just go and, and uh, start getting those lessons in your email. So the second thing, the easiest way, I think, is, you know, doing the long-term food storage with, with rice and beans and using five-gallon buckets with Mylar bags and oxygen absorbers. Using those, I think that's the easiest way to, to, to go. Um, you might not like rice and beans, but again, you know, if you're hungry, I think you would eat it. And, uh, you know, you also need to have some things to spice it up. I know some people don't, some people don't take that, uh, 
that view, like, you know, number eight, what he said here was, you know, if you're hungry enough, you'll eat pretty much every everything, but you want to be, uh, you want food to, you know, boost your morale. So, but anyway, that's, if you're thinking long, long term, that's where I would go with uh, the, you know, the rice and the beans. You can do pasta. You can do, I mean, there's so many things you can do there, but the food buckets, I guess that's my second one. And then the third thing is I think you do need some dehydrated food. And so I, I would look at into uh, purchasing some uh, some quality dehydrated food. Do your research. Uh, I like legacy legacy foods. And, and so uh, and that's the one that uh, that I would recommend. But uh, do your research on that and find the best. Just don't find the best deal. Find the best deal for the calories and for the servings that you're getting. And, uh, you know, read the reviews and, and, and things like that. So uh, I think this is important. It's one of those things that's way up there in preparedness. Uh, food, water, uh, you know, medical, uh, you know, ways to defend yourself. You know, those things are very important. And so that's why you'll hear me talk a lot about food. Um, plus, I like eating food. So <laughs> I think we all like eating food. And so I think that's very important. But definitely, if you can incorporate the way that you cook now into your food store. I mean, that's what you really want to do. You want to incorporate the way that you eat now into your food storage. So um, it's just, you know, it's it's normal. It's commonplace. You don't want uh, to try to reinvent the wheel when the poop hits the fan and all of a sudden you're bringing out the survival food and you're trying to figure out how to cook it. Uh, that's definitely not what you want to do. All right, so that's over at askaprepper.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go right to it. All right, so let's go ahead and go to our second article of the podcast. Our second article of the podcast comes to us from planandprepared.com. The article is entitled, Eight Tips First-Time Gun Buyers Need to Know Before They Buy. You know, I noticed here when I was uh, when I was getting ready for the podcast, both articles had the number eight in there. So maybe we will uh, call episode 305 the crazy eight episode. I don't know. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and jump into this one. Uh, I think firearms is, you know, as people start seeing things out there, um, you know, be, being in a place where you can defend yourself, I think is going to be very important. So uh, I think this is uh, there's a lot of great information here. Uh, James is a law enforcement uh, actually, he works for the sheriff's department, and so he's got a lot of years of experience and uh, some good information here. So let's go ahead and uh, start reading this one. With all the political hubbub out there about firearms, I know that there are many people who do not own a firearm but are now seriously considering getting one. And to those people, I strongly urge you to do so. Our Second Amendment rights are under attack, so now is the time to exercise your rights. Being able to defend yourself and your family is ultimately your responsibility. Hence, having the means and ability to do so is paramount. But before you rush out there and buy the first new shiny gun you see, you should consider these tips. They will help make your buying experience easier and more rewarding. Number one, ask yourself if you could pull the trigger. My first firearms instructor once told me, do not point your gun at anything you are not ready to destroy. He was absolutely right. For those of you who are considering purchasing your first firearm for self-defense, you need to do something. The first thing you need to do before rushing to a gun store or even looking online is to stop and think for a bit. Could you pull the trigger if you had to? Could you possibly take another human life? 
If you had some doubts now about whether you could potentially kill another human being should you be in a life-threatening event, those doubts will most likely be compounded and magnified in a high-stress incident. Many times people react to highly stressful situations much differently than how they anticipate they would. Some people may freeze up, hide, or run. The whole fight-or-flight thing kicks in. Unfortunately for many people, they don't know how they will react until the event is happening. But like I said, doubts now are a good indicator of what you might do in those events. Even if I can't bring myself to pull the trigger, I could get a gun and just hold it. The threat of a gun will scare them off, you say. Bad idea. While the mere sight of a gun is oftentimes enough to send a criminal fleeing, there are times when the sight of a gun could escalate the situation. The bad guy may try to take it from you, or worse, he may pull out a gun. And in that case, chances are strong that he will pull the trigger, resulting in a very bad day for you. I'm assuming that since you are still reading, you have thought it out and decided that if you and or your family, friends and family were in danger, you could defend yourself with deadly force. Training and range time will significantly help to build your confidence. So if you have some concern about this, I highly recommend regular training with your firearm. Number two, determine the purpose of your firearm. Firearms are tools. There are different types of guns for different types of jobs. So decide what your gun will be used for. Do you want a pistol that you can conceal for self-defense? Were you thinking shotgun, rifle? There are pros and cons to each type of firearm. So you have to determine what is best for you. Pistols are obviously much easier to conceal. Rifles are better for shooting at a distance. Shotguns are the most versatile. Determine what you need and what will work for you based upon your situation. For self-defense and EDC carry, I recommend a pistol or revolver. They are easy to conceal. A lot of folks like shotguns for home defense. And if you are a beginning hunter, a rifle is probably the way you want to go. But again, you need to decide which you prefer and which will help you the most in your situation. Number three, decide which firearm is right for you. When it comes to firearms or calibers, what is most important is what you feel comfortable with. A 44 Magnum, think Dirty Harry Callahan, won't do you much good if the gun is unwieldy, the recoil is too much for you, or you simply do not feel comfortable with it. I promise you, a 22 caliber bullet, one of the smaller bullets out there, can be just as deadly as a shotgun in the right situation. I mean, the end result is dead. Several years ago, my ex-girlfriend decided that she wanted to get her carry conceal license and she wanted to purchase a pistol. She had shot my mid-sized Glock before, but I thought she would do well with a snub-nosed 38 revolver. In my mind, it was small enough to fit in her purse, wouldn't jam, and it had enough stopping power should she have to use it. We went to a local gun range where we could rent firearms and I rented her a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver. But after three or four shots, she turned to me and said, I don't like it. She explained to me that she just didn't feel comfortable with it and she liked shooting my Glock more. So while I fired off the rest of the ammo for the revolver, she sent a bunch more lead downrange from my Glock. In the end, she got her carry concealed license, bought her Glock, and we eventually went our separate ways. But I realized that what I thought would suit her didn't matter. It was what she felt comfortable with. And the same is true for you. So before you buy anything, I'd encourage you to shoot some different firearms and different calibers. See what feels right for you. 
If you can't find a gun range that will allow you to test fire or rent, see if you have friends or co-workers who shoot and tag along with them. And if all else fails, I would find multiple online videos and watch them. Get a general consensus of the firearm. I typically do this in addition to test firing, but I love watching gun videos. In fact, I would encourage you to do this in addition to test firing. You might see a few firearms that you want to try out. Number four, try to stick with a new firearm the first time you buy. While there are plenty of quality guns that are used and obviously cheaper, there are also plenty of unscrupulous dealers out there. There could be issues or problems with a gun that you are not aware of, and they could be small enough that the untrained eye would not notice them. So until you have more experience and know what to look for, I would stick to getting something brand new. In addition, most firearms have a manufacturer's warranty. Be sure to ask about that when purchasing. If something goes wrong with your gun, it can be fixed or replaced usually at the manufacturer's expense. But with a used gun, the warranty may be expired, or the previous owner may have done something to the firearm which voids the warranty. Some gun modifications can void a warranty on a firearm. I understand money can be tight for a lot of folks, so if you do buy used, make sure it is from a person or dealer that you trust. Below is a video, not me, on things to know when you purchase a used pistol. Hopefully this helps you if you feel that this is the route you need to take. Again, you know your circumstances better than anyone. I watched the video, solid info in my opinion. So there's a video there, it's called Buying Used Pistols, What to Look For. Alright, number five, stick with a common caliber. At the age of 21, I decided I wanted a dirty hairy gun, a 44 Magnum. And that was the extent of my firearm knowledge. So I went to a gun show with the intent of acquiring such a revolver. The first booth I found that had 44 mags, I was excited until I saw the price tag. Ouch. I was a poor struggling college student. And although I had some money burning a hole in my pocket, I didn't have that much. Not to worry, said the man in the booth. He had a used 44 special. Almost the same thing, right? The bullets are close to the same size. For a record, a 44 mag will shoot 44 special rounds, but not vice versa. And on top of that, since it was my first gun, he would throw in a box of rounds for free. What college student doesn't love free? Needless to say, I was tickled pink with my purchase, and within a few days, I was at the range. I pulled the trigger, and it went bang every time. No issues, until I ran out of bullets. The employee at the range didn't generally carry 44 special rounds. In fact, the only store I could find that did was 20 miles away from my house. And to make matters worse, I had no idea how expensive that ammo was in terms of a poor struggling college student. Well, this sucks. Okay, time to rethink my plan. The guy at the range seems to have plenty of 357 ammo. While it was still expensive, it is cheaper than 44 Special. So at the next show, I traded the 44 Special for a, a Rossi 357 Magnum. I'll let you guess who got the better end of that deal. Anyway, my point is that I'd stick to calibers that are common and usually plentiful. For handguns, 22 long rifle, 9mm, 4 caliber, 40 caliber, 357 and 45 APC. For shotguns, 12 gauge is the most common, but 20 gauge and 410 are also easy to find. For rifles, 223, 556 and 308 are probably the most common in the US. 30 out 6 and 270 are also readily available. 22 is also available in rifles. 
There's a nice little picture if you haven't ever seen uh, this one. I know it's it's been around for a while, but it's a nice uh, a graphic or picture of uh, uh, ammo of, of cartridges and uh, how big they are and how they compare and stack up to each other. So, uh, you know, that's a nice little picture there. I'm not discounting other calibers I did not mention. There might be other calibers not on my list that are plentiful. I'm simply giving you a starting point. Number six, how much is your life worth? To me, when it comes to firearms, quality matters. My life may someday depend on it. So ask yourself, how cheap am I willing to go on a tool that could someday save my life? You should budget yourself for a decent quality firearm. Guys, if you are buying a gun for your wife or girlfriend, that question applies to her as well. What is her life worth to you? About a year or so after I acquired my Rossi 357, I realized that in the movies, the action heroes were all carrying semi-automatics. That must mean that the revolver is old and outdated. I had to get with the times and get a semi-automatic. Oh, to be young and naive again. Unfortunately, the money burning a hole in my pocket was not quite as large as a sum as the last time. So I was basing my decision almost solely upon the cost. I found a semi-auto that I could easily afford. I determined its caliber and then walked around the gun show. That caliber round seemed to be available and was cheaper than 357. See? I had learned my lesson from the 44 Special. I left the gun show confident with my Bryco Jennings 380. The fact that it cost me only $100 should have been a clue. For those who are new to firearms, a Bryco Jennings, now Jimenez Arms, firearms is quite possibly the cheapest firearm on the market. It had several design flaws and was eventually sued because of it. You can read about you can read here about the lawsuit filed and won over design flaws with the pistol. I quickly learned that cleaning it was a pain in the butt because it was very difficult to field strip. It wasn't always reliable and sometimes had problems with ammo jamming. In the end, I put maybe 500 to 600 rounds through it. I didn't like it, so I didn't shoot it much. It stayed in a shoebox in my closet for years. A few years ago, I gave it to my brother. He put maybe 200 rounds through it before the frame cracked. Yes, that is a picture of it. Less than 1,000 rounds through it. Junk. So there is a picture of uh, the, that frame uh, cracking there. Or that the, the shows the crack. I'm not going to get into which gun manufacturer is better debate. What's the point? Everyone has their opinion and in the end, it is up to you to decide but I would encourage you to stick to a brand that has a solid reputation. You have the benefit of the internet and YouTube. Do some research. Try out different manufacturers before purchasing one. Shoot a Glock, a Smith & Wesson, a Springfield, etc. and decide which one works for you. Remember, this is an investment that could save your life someday. Number 7. Skills with a firearm can go rusty. Okay, you made a purchase that you are happy with and managed to put some rounds down range without shooting your eye out. However, that does not mean you are good to go. You need to build your skill level up. You do this by spending time at the range practicing. Remember when I talked about not always knowing how you would react in a high-stress situation? Well, practice and repetition helps to build confidence. And those things will help to determine how you react if you find yourself in a life-threatening situation. As I said above, this is a skill that can go rusty over time, so make range time a fairly common occurrence in your life. If you can, get your significant other to go with you. With a gun in the house, they should know how to use it as well. If you have children, teach them firearm safety. 
The NRA has a wonderful Eddie Eagle program that teaches firearm safety to kids. When my sons were growing up, I took them to the range so much it was sometimes boring for them. But they know firearm safety inside and out. And number eight, don't forget about low light situations. As I have said in other articles, you could find yourself in a deadly situation at night. So you want to make sure you have solid sights on your firearm. Do they stand out? Are they easy to see and allow for quick target acquisition? I have OEM sights on my Glock which glow at night and in low light scenarios. Ease of being able to attach an external light source to your firearm is also something you should think about. This is especially true if you plan on having your firearm for self-defense purposes. My home defense system involves my Glock 23. I prefer this because I have a lot of corners in my house and it is much easier to move around those corners with a pistol. In addition to my night sights, I also have a Streamlight TLR-1 mounted to my Glock. Purchasing a firearm can seem like a daunting task. Hopefully, by reading this, you feel a bit more comfortable. Feel free to post any questions in the comments below. So if you would like to read more on Prepper Firearms, click here for the follow-up article. I try to go a bit more in-depth on EDC and home defense firearms. In part two, I cover firearms for a long-term survival scenario. To learn about building your own AR, click here. For hints and tips on carrying your EDC firearm every day, click here. All right, so uh, a lot of great resources here, uh, not to mention the, you know, the article that's uh, you know, a lot of great information. Uh, James you know, laid it down for you here, but then other resources that he links to. So definitely, if you are considering a firearm, you know, uh, one of the things that I always remember hearing is that the firearm that you purchase right now will never be as cheap as it is right now. As you, as we, as we have looked at firearms, unless there is like a run on ammo, like there was a couple of years ago with with uh, like nine millimeter and you know those types, twenty two long rifle and stuff. You would go to the gun shows and they would have it at like. I mean, they were gouging people, right? But if, uh, you know, besides that, firearms are just always going up. I mean, things that you bought for maybe $400, $450 now are, are, you know, five, $600. And so if you're, if you're thinking about it, if you're concerned about, you know, your safety, if you are, you know, you're looking at the world and you're like, you know what? Yeah, I am concerned, you know, about where things are going. You might want to go ahead, if you have the finances, go ahead and make that purchase, get the training, go to the, you know, go to the gun range and shoot. And maybe you can find one that will let you rent some various firearms so you can try them out before you actually purchase. I think that's always a great idea to do that. But, you know, that that's awesome to do. Get that done. And then, uh, you know, if you don't have the finances for it, then be purposeful about saving up. And, uh, you know, that could be one of the reasons why you start a micro biz. Hey, look, I got to I got to promote my ebook one more time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that might be one of the reasons why you're saving up is to is to buy something like a firearm. You know, maybe you have a pistol. Maybe you're like, you know what? I want a shotgun for home defense. And so you're able to start setting money aside for that. So definitely look into that. And uh, you want to have the ammo that will uh, the defensive ammo that you carry in there for defensive purposes, and then the ammo that you would go and shoot at the range just to you know to shoot at paper targets. So guys, again, that's over at planandprepared.com. Great article. Go check that one out.
Well, everyone, that's it for episode 305. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And don't forget about the free e-course, Building a More Self-Reliant Life. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.